0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. From darkness to light, this is the story we all share as the people of God. He draws us out to draw us in. From the birth of Israel to the church today, God delivers and dwells with his people. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you today. If you were one of our guests, allow me just to quickly introduce myself. My name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Brook. Uh, We are glad that you joined us for worship this morning, and I am grateful for the opportunity uh, to share God's Word with you today. Uh, Last week, we finished our mini-series in uh, Colossians, and today we have the opportunity to jump back into our series in Exodus And uh, what's great about this is in the month of July, there are five Sundays, and so you're going to have the opportunity to hear uh, from five different people. Uh, So not only will you get to hear from each one of our pastors, but you will have the opportunity to hear from one of our elders as well. So the month of July should be a lot of fun, and I am honored for the opportunity to start things off for us today. So as we begin our time together this morning, I have a quick question for you. Uh, So let me ask, is there anybody in here who is a fan of roller coasters. Let's see some hands. I know all the kids will put their hands up. All right, so the adults are not being shy today. That's good, that's good. Uh, So I'm a huge fan of roller coasters, always have been. And uh, so I know there's not a theme park here in Huntsville, but I'm sure that most of you have uh, been to one. Uh, But let me ask, if you were given the opportunity to go to a world-famous theme park and to ride some uh, record-breaking roller coasters, would you do it? Like, would you actually go and would you get on the rides? Like, it's one thing to go; it's another thing once you're actually standing there looking up at the rides to actually say, "Yeah, I'm still all in," and then get on the rides. So, when I was in college, I had an opportunity uh, to do this. Uh, one day, one of my friends he called me and he said, "Man, we've been talking about this for a long time. I think it's time. Let's make this happen. We need to plan a trip to Cedar Point." And so, because I'm all in on roller coasters. Man, that's all he had to say, and we immediately began the process of preparing for our trip. And for those of you who don't know anything about Cedar Point, let me quickly fill you in. Uh, This one park has some of the tallest and fastest roller coasters in the world, and it's unbelievable. Um, So let me give you just an example to help you understand kind of what I'm talking about here. As most of you know, I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. And uh, where we lived was actually pretty close to Six Flags. We were about 15 minutes away. And so every year, me and all my friends, we would get season passes because it was just an easy way to waste your summer break uh, rather than being bored at home all summer. It just gave us something to do, so we would go uh, to Six Flags probably four or five times a week during the summer and just hang out. So it was a blast. Had a great time. And, uh, but if you've ever been to Six Flags over Georgia, then you know that they have a famous wooden roller coaster called the Great American Scream Machine. And so I'm sure most of you have been on this ride before. Uh, they had the first hill is about a hundred feet tall in the. Uh, the ride goes a whopping 57 miles an hour, which is really fast for a wooden roller coaster, by the way. That might not sound fast, but it is really fast if you're on a wooden roller coaster. So if you've ever been on this ride, then you know it's a blast. Uh, Not only does it go fast, but every single time kind of you top the next hill, you go airborne because the seat belts don't really do anything. There's just that metal bar, and so you have this constant fear, like are you still going to be in the cart at the end of the ride? And then you come kind of flying into the station at the end Everybody pulls their hands down real quick because there's that wooden part and you're worried you're going to lose your hands. and It's great. So we've got some pictures for you. Okay, so yeah, this is it. So if you've been to Six Flags Over Georgia, uh, good chance you've ridden that one. So for a ro- wooden roller coaster, it really just does not get any better than that. So keep in mind, okay, 100-foot-tall hill, 57 miles an hour. Are you with me? Now at Cedar Point, they have ro- uh, roller coasters that are over 400 feet tall, And they go over 100 miles an hour. So I think we've got a couple of pictures for you there. And uh, it is an unbelievable place to go. So like we were talking about a different world of roller coasters here. So if you can imagine the Scream Machine stacked on top of itself four times and going twice the speed, that's what you get to do at Cedar Point. So as you can tell, I was all in. We began immediately planning for our trip. And so the first thing that we did was we went to the leading map website of the day, MapQuest. I know nobody uses that anymore, but we jumped on to MapQuest to figure out, you know, how far is this trip going to be for us? So from Atlanta to Sandusky, Ohio, what are we looking at? And it was about 700 miles for our trip. Uh, So as you can imagine, that is a long time to be in the car. So by the time you add in uh, restroom breaks and food stops and all that, you're looking at a minimum of about 12 to 13 hours. But that was not going to stop us. Even though we knew that the journey ahead uh, was going to be long, we knew that in the end it was going to be worth it. So long story short, we planned our trip. We got about 12 of our friends to commit. We all piled into about three different cars. We packed our bags and we were on our way. The trip had officially begun. So we were, we were moving. But a funny thing happened as we were driving. Like, as time went on, instead of us being excited about what was ahead, instead of us being unified about this great experience that we were getting ready to have at Cedar Point, uh, somewhere around Lexington, Kentucky, which was probably about halfway for our trip, kind of everybody's mood began to change. There was a different um, opinion about what was taking place now. People were starting to complain. Um, some people were tired of sitting. They just wanted to stretch their legs. Uh, other people um, were, couldn't agree on the radio station anymore. Um, other people were just hungry. You ever been around somebody who gets so hungry that they become hangry? Like we had some of those people on the trip with us where all of a sudden they're a different person when they're hungry. Somehow we had lost focus on what was ahead. Instead of being unified in our efforts, instead of being excited about what was on the way, instead of knowing this is our destination and we are all in on this together, instead of that, we were now focusing on our present circumstances and that's all we could see. That's all we knew and it began to kind of take over the conversations in the cars. And there were even people on the journey with us who even began to question whether or not this was going to be worth it at all. And guys, as we continue in our series in Exodus, this is the situation for God's people. As they continued in their journey towards the promised land, they found themselves no longer excited about what was ahead, but instead focusing in on their current circumstances. And doubting whether or not in the end this was even going to be worth it. Some of them even began to question if it would be better to just go back to Egypt and to trade in their freedom for slavery again. And so that is where we are going to be picking up in our story today. So this morning, um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 and 17. Uh, We've got quite a bit of scripture to look at today, so we are going to just jump right in. Um, Today, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. So if you are using uh, the Bible app, let me encourage you to go ahead and set your translation to the NIV so our translations will match. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you at all today, I know we have some scattered around the worship center. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, And uh, also, if you are using the Bible app, let me remind you that we are still using the new feature that they have uh, for the uh, Bible events. So when you open up the Bible app, in the bottom right corner, there's a button that says More. You can press that, then choose Events, and you will see the book listed as a live event where today you will have all of today's Scripture and all of the answers to the the fill-in-the-blanks. And of course, if you are old school, you are always welcome to use uh, pen and paper. You should have received a handout when you came in. Uh, through the door this morning. Well, let's jump right into our passage together, and then we are going to begin to discuss it. This is Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. All right, so I'm going to let you in on a little secret in church life. Um, So in church life, it is not uncommon to come across people who like to complain okay so it's just there are some people in the church who feel that this is kind of their spiritual gift uh, this is how they contribute to the kingdom. And I'm sure you all uh, know somebody like this. I don't know what you call them um, here in Alabama. We've only been here for four months. Uh, but I've heard them best described as the cold water committee. Anytime you've got a good idea, they kind of run over real quick and they pour some cold water on it. Just to remind you uh, that, you know, that's not a good idea at all. You know, they're the, they're the people who like to complain. And it's not just what they do. It's who they Right? So we all know who uh, people like that are. But notice here, this is not who we are dealing with in the passage. This isn't just a few people who want to run their mouth and cause problems for Moses and Aaron. Instead, when you look at verse 2, it says that the whole community was grumbling. And so guys, this is a pretty serious thing because in Exodus 12, and you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 12 we actually see that Moses led 600,000 men out of Egypt. So that does not count the women and the children. So scholars say that if you want to have just a conservative estimate of how many people we're probably looking at here... They're going to say probably in the ballpark of around 2 million people. By the time you add in the women and the children, we're looking at a pretty significant number of people that are leaving Egypt. So this group of people, it's not some small group that's complaining to Moses. We're talking around 2 million. Million people. And it says that they were all grumbling. They were all upset. And verse 3 tells us what they were upset about. It says The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So at this point, the people are hungry. That's what they're complaining about. Guys, they are starving. They're in the middle of this desert. There's no food around and they don't know what to do. And it says that there were people who even began to question whether it would be just better to go back to Egypt. Let's trade in this life of freedom for a life of slavery because at least there we could fill our stomachs. At least there we had food to eat. So what happens next? Well, let's take a look at verses 4 through 5 and we're going to see what God does Um, in response. So verse four, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The first thing that I want us to write down this morning is this, the Israelites were in need of food and God provided food. The Israelites were in need of food, and God provided food. All right, so right here we see the plan from God. These people are hungry. He's going to provide them with something to eat. But rather than telling two million people to go out and hunt for their own food, God provides for them in a way that only God could do. So as we see right here, he is going to cause bread to come down, like to rain down from heaven. And as we're about to see, all of this is to bring glory to God and is to cause the people to know that God is still with them and that God is still for them. So let's keep reading. This is Exodus 16, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked out towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And so by giving them food in this moment, God is reminding them that He is a God who provides. He has provided them with life and He has provided them with everything that is necessary to sustain that life. Let's keep reading, verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. Basically, an omer was about a day's worth of food. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who had gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. All right, so guys, picture this. Picture that you are in the middle of the desert, you have run out of food, and let's just act like for a moment that you're a parent, okay? It's bad enough that you can't feed yourself, but now you look over and you see your kids and you can't feed them either. Like, what do you do in that situation? Like, you have a family to feed. In that moment, you're going to want to do everything possible, like whatever you have to do to make sure that your kids do not starve to death out in the desert. And then all of a sudden, food miraculously just shows up. Not only has quail covered the ground at night, but this new kind of bread that they have never seen before is now covering the ground in the morning. Like, can you imagine just being there in that moment? Like, if if you were there, it would have probably looked like a bunch of kids tearing off across a field in search of Easter eggs. Like, everybody probably had baskets in their arms racing across the field. As all I mean, they're starving, and now there's food there. And so they're all racing out there trying to get as much as they need for their family. And here's the really cool part, in my opinion. I think this is awesome. Notice what happens. It says that God provided exactly what they needed. It wasn't too much and it wasn't too little. It says that everyone gathered exactly what they needed to have their fill for the day. That means that out of the two million people, there was not one person who went without Not one. It wasn't like everybody but this one guy over here. No, everybody got what they needed. And the really interesting part is we're about to see in a couple of verses, God actually provided for the Israelites like this for 40 years. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, Moses begins to give them some instructions starting in verse 19. So Moses said to them, "'No one is to keep any of it until the morning.' However, some of them paid no attention to Moses." They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. All right, so obviously the people are hungry, and there were clearly people in this group who began to um, kind of be fearful that this might be the last time that they see some food. And if we're honest, we would probably do the same thing, right? Right? like all of a sudden food is available, you're going to be tempted because you're starving and you've got a family to feed. You're going to be tempted to take more than you actually need and to set some aside for like, well, we'll set some of this aside for tomorrow and maybe that'll be for the next day and the next day. And even though God had given them clear instructions not to do that, there were still people who did it anyway. And if we're honest, guys, we would be tempted to do the same Thing. But God was not trying to teach them how to manage their food portions. Rather, he was trying to teach them to trust in him. He was trying to teach them to depend on him. He was trying to teach them to follow him and have faith in him that he would provide. And as we will see, food was not the only thing that God ended up providing for his people on their journey. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, it says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until the morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So second thing, let's write this down. The Israelites were in need of rest, and God provided rest. So in Exodus 16, right here in our passage, we actually see something pretty serious uh, take place. This is the first time in Scripture uh, where we see God command His people to rest on the Sabbath. So for those of you who are new to the church scene, uh, allow me to explain. Um, In the creation story, we see that God created uh, everything in six days, and on the seventh day... He rested. However, it wasn't until this moment that this model is now given to God's people. It wasn't until this moment that God basically told them, hey, I don't want you working for seven days anymore. I want you working for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to rest. And on this day of rest, I want that to be devoted to me. I want you to focus on me. And honestly, guys, there couldn't have been a better time for this new rule to take effect. At this point in the story, you can have full confidence that these people are tired. Like, can you imagine how exhausting it has to be to walk across a desert? And again, imagine if you have kids with you. Like, if your kids are anything like mine, after about 30 minutes, they're going to be looking over at you saying, I'm exhausted or I'm tired. Mommy, can you hold me? Daddy, can you hold me? Like, After about 30 minutes, like, you're done, right? Like, the other day, we went to Rosie's. Uh, I'm sure you've all been there. It's a fantastic restaurant. If you haven't been there, their steak fajitas are amazing. Okay, so we just went there not too long ago, and uh, we had to wait for our table. And so we decided to go outside. There's a little area in the shade with a fountain. Our kids like it out there. So we were just going to wait out there while we waited for the buzzer to go off. Well, after about a minute of waiting for our table, our 3-year-old, Ava, she comes up to me. Daddy, I'm tired. I'm like, all right, I got you. So I picked her up and I held her, and she kind of laid her head down on my shoulder. And after about a minute, like, she is gone. And I don't mean like she's dozing off and, like, sort of still hanging in there. I mean, she is out like a light. Like, she is gone. And as you can imagine, it did not take long for this to become a very uncomfortable situation. Like, after about 10 minutes of holding her, like, I'm getting hot and sweaty, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is terrible. And so, of course, I did what every good husband does in that moment. I passed that hot, sweaty kid off to my wife, you know, and I'm like, here, she's yours. I can't handle it. Like, this is so uncomfortable. And after 10 minutes, like, I'm having to peel her off of me. It's like she's stuck to me with sweat. And so just imagine if we weren't sitting in the shade at Rosie's, but instead, like, walking across the desert. Like, can you imagine how exhausting that would be like it would be terrible. And so God in his infinite wisdom, he gives them something that they didn't even ask for. He gives them something that he knew that they needed, but maybe they just didn't even realize they needed it. He gives them rest. And guys, isn't this exactly kind of how God operates in our life as well? I don't know about you, but this has been true in my life so many I cannot count the number of times that God has given me something that I didn't even know that I needed. And then there are other times where God has withheld things from me that I thought that I needed, that I wanted, but God knew that I wasn't ready. And that is because God is good, God knows what is best for us, and God provides us with what we need. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. So again, right here, uh, we got an example of where people didn't completely trust God. Apparently all the miracles that they had seen up until this point were not enough for some of them. Um, So they tried to go out and find food, but there was nothing there. And so clearly God was not pleased with this. Verse 28, "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions?' Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So eventually they got it. Eventually it clicked. Eventually they knew, okay, God will provide for us. Verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white coriander seed and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna uh, with uh, the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So at the end of chapter 16, we see that God has them set aside some of this bread because he wants them to have the opportunity to share this story. He knows that this is going to be an important thing for them to be able to talk about for generations. And he not only wants them to be able to tell the story, but actually show them, hey, future generations, this is what he provided for us. This is it right here. It's in this jar. And so God provides them with that as well. Well, let's keep reading. Let's look at Exodus 17, uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, "...the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, "'Give us water to drink.' And Moses replied, "'Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test?' But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, "'Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst?' Then Moses cried out to the Lord, "'What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me.' And the Lord answered Moses, "'Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go.'" I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Third thing, write this down. The Israelites were in need of water and God provided water. The Israelites were in need of water, and God provided water. All right, so as crazy as it sounds, the Israelites are complaining again. Um, Even though they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle, it didn't matter. And I'm not talking about like little stuff. Like this is the same group of people that God protected from the plagues. Like this is the same group of people that God just delivered from slavery out of the hands of Pharaoh. This is the same group of people that walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, and it is the same group of people who are now eating bread that falls from heaven every single day. These same people have somehow forgotten that they serve a God who provides for them, and rather than being grateful, they are grumbling. Rather than trusting God in these situations, they seem to forget everything that He has done for them. But the same God who gave them food when they were hungry and rest when they were tired is the same God who is still with them in this moment. And He is the same God who provides. He gives them water when they are thirsty. And to be certain, this is no small miracle. Like, I want to remind you, we are talking about approximately 2 million people here. To like help put this in perspective, let me help you understand how large 2 million people actually is. Like right now in 2018, of the 50 states in our country, 14 of them do not even have 2 million people living in them. So we're talking Nebraska, West Virginia, Idaho, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, Montana, Delaware, South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, Vermont, and Wyoming. Each one of these states have less than 2 million people in them. So like, can you imagine if it was our job to provide water for just one of these states? Like, What would we do right now? Like this morning, if all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, we walk out there and the entire state of Nebraska is standing there. It's like one point nine million people. We just look at it and that's all we can see is for like ever it's just a massive sea of people. And they come up and they say, Hey, we're thirsty, give us something to drink. Like what would we do? Like where would we even start? Like, this is an unbelievable amount of people that are thirsty. And it's not just them. Scripture says that it is their livestock, too. So 1.9 million people from Nebraska are all standing there with their animals. Like, where would we even begin? But God, thankfully, had a plan. And when they were thirsty, he provides them with water. Well, guys, believe it or not, today uh, we've had the opportunity to look at two of the more popular chapters in the Old Testament. And I know that what uh, we just read in Exodus 16 and 17 might not be as exciting as the creation story or the flood or David and Goliath, you know, pick your favorite children's story that you knew growing up. I understand that it might not be as exciting to read as some of those, but if you've ever spent any time reading your Bible, then you know that these two chapters are referenced over and over and over again throughout the rest of scripture. Like, I just want to give you a few examples. Listen to Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 16, he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Nehemiah 9:15 In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven and in their thirst you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land that you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. Nehemiah 9:20 You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water For their thirst. Psalm 78, verse 24 and 25 He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food that they could eat. And then we get over to the New Testament and things really start to get interesting. Like Matthew 11, we see that if we are tired and if we need rest, we don't have to necessarily depend on a day anymore. Now we can find that rest in Jesus. Listen to Matthew 11, verse 28. "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" And then in John chapter 6, like this is where we get to the meat. Like this is where it all comes together. So if you have not been paying attention up to this moment, like this is where you've got to start tracking with me. Like do not miss this. This is John chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 25. Uh, when they found him on the other side of the lake, we're talking about Jesus right here. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? In other words, prove it. Like, prove it. Like, what are you going to do? So Jesus said or verse 31 Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32 Jesus said to them Very truly I tell you it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the for the bread of God is the bread that came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir they said always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared I I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Guys, everything that happened in Exodus 16 and 17 was ultimately serving a greater purpose. Every single bit of it was about pointing to Christ and being fulfilled in Christ. Like, yes, the Israelites were hungry, and God provided them with food. And yes, the Israelites were tired and God provided them with rest. And yes, the Israelites were thirsty and God provided them with water. But guys, if we, have just, if we just leave it there, our story would be so incomplete. Like we would leave this place today and we'd be so unsatisfied with the message that we have heard because we would have missed the gospel connection. We would have missed the greater purpose behind all of this. Like God in his sovereignty caused the Israelites, to be hungry. He caused them to be tired and he caused them to be thirsty. And why did he do this? Because he wanted them to understand that he would be the one to provide for them. He wanted them to understand that he was going to be the one who would satisfy their needs. And yes, guys, their needs were very real. Being hungry and being tired and being thirsty in the desert is very real. But make no mistake about it, All of this is pointing to a greater need, and that is our need for a Savior. And as we've seen this morning in John chapter 6, Jesus is that Savior. He's the Savior that the world was waiting on. He is the one who ultimately satisfies our greatest need, and that is the need for salvation. Like, don't miss this simple truth, guys. In Egypt, God sends bread down from heaven to satisfy the needs of his people. And then thousands of years later, God again does the exact same thing. He sends bread down from heaven to satisfy the needs of his people. But this time, it is not regular bread. It is the bread of life. It's Jesus. Number four, we were in need of salvation and God provided salvation. We were in need of salvation and God provided salvation. Guys, I want to be perfectly clear with you this morning. The gospel is not about behavior modification. It is not about you going from being bad to being good, okay? The gospel is about you going from being dead to being alive. That is what the gospel is all about. Look with me at John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51, and then we are done. Verse 47, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Life. It does not say that the one who believes will all of a sudden be a good person. It says the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Guys, the Israelites were hungry. They were tired. And they were thirsty. And if you don't know Jesus, the same is true for you. Spiritually, you are hungry. Spiritually, you are tired. And spiritually, you are thirsty. And let me encourage you with this. Only Jesus will satisfy only Jesus will meet your needs guys this morning if you want to talk to somebody more about what it means to be saved what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to be forgiven of your sins and to receive eternal life man, we would love to have those conversations with you and as soon as our service is over our pastors and elders will kind of be hanging out right here down front and we would love to start those conversations with you If you are already a believer, man, my prayer this morning is that today is just another reminder that you serve a big and mighty and powerful God who loves you and has provided for you. And most importantly, has provided everything you need for your salvation. Guys, thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Band is going to lead us in song. Let's stand and sing.